0: Good morning. We will be reading two passages of scripture together this morning. We're going to start with James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And then if you want to go ahead and mark your spot for where we're going, we'll be headed to Matthew, chapter 6, and verses 1 to 15. I apologize, I forgot to look in the Pew Bible to grab our pages, but I think Mark has them there. Good. So James 4, 1 to 12 is on your Pew Bible, page 1174, and we'll start there. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, Mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or sister or judges him or her speaks against the law, And judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Then, if you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 6. On page 938, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning submitting ourselves to you, humbling ourselves before you, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. Reveal these truths to us that you have placed in your word, your living word, that can instruct us, heal us, give us hope, give us strength and courage Equip us to obey you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would equip us to be forgiving and loving as our Father is in heaven. Pray that you would be with Mark now as he comes and brings your word to us. Help us to listen with open ears, open hearts, and receive with open hands. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Shelley. I don't mind telling you as we get started here this morning that I'm excited about this morning's message. Um, I just know that there's somebody out there it's for. I don't know who you are, um, but I know that it's for someone, so I encourage you to listen. It may be someone here, it may be someone there. On our live stream, I, I don't know, but I, I just I just know it's for some somebody, and not because I'm delivering it, but because it comes from the words of the Lord. Um, I do have an announcement, however, before we continue on. Um, according to our Bethesda Church Constitution, we are required, before any special or generally called meeting, uh, to announce from the pulpit that there is an upcoming meeting, um, and we must do it at least two consecutive Sundays before. So this is the first consecutive Sunday, and so we're announcing that we have our annual general, general meeting for the year 2001-2022 coming up here on Tuesday, October the 18th. So that's just in a little bit over a week. It's two Sundays, but it's just a little bit over a week. We'll meet at 7 p.m. downstairs in the Fellowship Hall uh, all of our meetings, uh, unless they have something to do with personnel or something like that, all of our meetings uh, are open to anyone to come and to see what's going on and to listen and even to give input. Uh, Of course, only members can uh, vote on matters that may come before us, uh, but we do want to encourage you to be with us. Uh, These are normally uh, very encouraging times, hearing what, what the Lord is doing, has been doing, and what he uh, seems to be doing among us uh, these days. So we want to make sure that um, you get that. And, and, and while I'm at it, next Sunday will be our third Sunday of the month. And so uh, that will be our communion Sunday. That will be also the Sunday we offer prayer after service for anyone who will come and anyone who would uh, ask for it. And so we encourage you to uh, be aware of that come and share Holy Communion with us and with the Lord and also come and be prayed for or bring someone that you know who who needs prayer. And we'll also welcome new members. So if you are in that category of persons who have gone through our class, had your interview with the elders, let me know this week, and I'll be calling some of you and or sending you an email to make sure that we've got you. But we want to do that before the annual meeting so that you can fully participate. Uh, you've earned it, and it's... Uh, it's, it's um, Uh, uh, up to us to get you uh, into our membership. Um, Now that's quite a bit to get done in one worship service next week, but I think we can do it with just a little extra planning, a little extra preparation and some streamlined execution. I do hope that you'll be able to join us. Now let's turn to the ministry of God's word. I've been much encouraged by our renewed interest these days. emphasis on prayer. It's a very good and necessary development to contemplate what prayer is. How do we pray most effectively and fruitfully? What could we or should we expect from our praying efforts? To be sure it's most important for us to be praying and not just contemplating the value and the practice of biblical Christian prayer. Indeed, the greatest value of studying biblical Christian prayer is that we become practitioners of prayer and not only learners about it. The key is not so much that we express confidence in prayer, which we should, even the biblical practice of historically Christian prayer, but we must also become prayers, and truly effective prayer will happen on all levels as individuals and in families, parents and children, leaders and whole churches together in hope, expectancy, trust and dependency on our God in Christ Jesus. And the news on that front is quite encouraging as I said. We have people praying regularly on Wednesday evenings for our congregation, for our missionaries and for our refugee families that are on their way acknowledging God in Christ Jesus as our sovereign savior. Of course, we'd be encouraged with more people joining us, but we are praying reliably, consistently, and with perseverance. Lately, we've also had men of a wide spectrum of ages from 20s to near 70s coming together to pray on Tuesday mornings. It's still early in two ways. One, it's only five weeks since we've started, but seven o'clock in the morning is really early for many of us including you know me (laughs) but it's good and it has been very good we've had from five to nine men over the last five consecutive weeks and I want to thank especially pastors George and Yuri for moving us in this direction at this time it is good yes I'm quoting God there Um, In addition to our regular times of prayer here in worship and in our personal devotions, we're also offering special prayer on the third Sunday of each month for anyone who will ask for it. We may be praying more these days than we've prayed in a very long time. Now, I don't share that with you so that we can enjoy a collective self-congratulatory, aren't we, quite something pat on our backs. I I share it To encourage us all to keep going to step into it to do so with faith and in hope together as we increase in our understanding and practice of prayer the Lord Jesus Christ will be right here with us and by the way next Sunday's concluding message on prayer will be entitled prayer what difference does it make managing expectations we will finally be getting to answer the question that initiated this mini-series, which was prayer is a comfort to God's people, but what if I don't see evidence that it changes anything? That was four whole weeks ago that we started. So without further ado, let's review the central truths about prayer from our series thus far. They are printed there in your bulletins on the inside left uh, upper corner. As I mentioned, the first uh, message was what is prayer? That was our series introduction. What is prayer? And you'll see there that our central truth was biblical Christian prayer is an ongoing, not just a one time, but an ongoing, deliberate, that is we mean to, and personal, that is it's coming from our hearts, expression of trust now and future hope in the one true and living God by a saving, submitted, and sustaining faith in Jesus Christ, our forever Savior and Sovereign. Then uh, three weeks ago, we began a look at here what I'm calling the disciples prayer. And we saw that biblical Christian prayer is also, in addition to what we see about a general definition of prayer, the biblical Christian prayer is also an honest, sincere and hopeful expression of deep need for ourselves and sacrificial intercession for others before God in Christ Jesus our forever sovereign Savior and Sovereign. And then we, two weeks ago, or or I guess it was last week, we had our second message on the disciples' prayer and saw that biblical Christian prayer is also, in addition to its more general definition, the first week, is also a recognition and acknowledgement of the sovereign goodness and love of God in Christ Jesus, our forever Savior and Sovereign, and an agreement with his word, his will, and his purposes on the earth. And as for our central truth for this morning's message, we'll take a look at it in just a moment. But I I do want to pause for just a second and, and pray. Lord, in the time we have remaining, I know that you have someone in mind, maybe several someones, for this message. I pray, Lord, that you will open our minds and our hearts and our ears, that you'll open my mouth that I will be able to speak clearly and concisely what it is that you would have us to hear and give us the faith and the hope in Jesus Christ to step out of where we are into your grace, mercy, and freedom, in Jesus' name, amen. So in previous messages, I've mentioned to you Philip Yancey's modern classic, on prayer from which I stole my series title, full confession. Prayer, does it make any difference? Here it is right here. This is the the more recent uh, cover. Um, The other, the the first cover had footprints in the desert sand. And uh, of course, you know what that alludes to, that Jesus is carrying us. Yancey writes, for those of you who are keep it score, this is for page 78. Surely Jesus must have known the potential as well as the limitations of prayer. I have said that the simplest answer to the question, why pray, is because Jesus did. What relevance might Jesus' prayers have on those who struggle with belief and hope in their praying? The Gospels record just over a dozen specific prayers by Jesus, along with several parables and teachings on the subject. He followed the normal Jewish practice of visiting the synagogue, the house of prayer, and of praying at least three times a day. We can safely assume that Jesus often prayed in private, too, for when his disciples asked for instruction on prayer, Jesus said they should seclude themselves. Such prayers make an imp- made an impression on his followers. Five times the Gospels mention Jesus' practice of praying alone. So now our central truth of the message for this morning, it too, is on your inside left uh, of your bulletin, more in the center area there. And this, here it is, Biblical Christian Prayer, is also, that is in addition to the general prayer uh, definition that we had in the first message, biblical Christian prayer is also not a rote recitation of a script or even of assorted requests. It is a hopeful and expectant plea for God's love, mercy, and grace through his personal presence, his personal provision, and his personal intervention. Biblical Christian prayer is also not a rote recitation of a script or even of assorted requests. It is a hopeful and expectant plea for God's love, mercy, and grace through his personal presence, his personal provision, and his personal intervention. I'd like to address the personal presence of God in Christ Jesus' peace first, because it's more implied in the disciples' prayer than it is obvious. So for that, turn with me to the book of James, chapter 4, beginning with verse 5, just to get the context for what follows. Thanks to my sweet wife, Shelly, for courageously reading these challenging verses for us. But as we hear and process them, let's let's try to see them for what they teach us. And as we do, I'd like for us to think about this teaching with, with kind of this heading, that in these verses, God promises to draw near to any person who draws near to Him and to provide whatever we need to live and prevail in the authentic Christian life. God promises to draw near to any person who draws near to Him and to provide whatever we need to live and prevail in the authentic Christian life. So how do we do that? What does it mean to draw near to God? and to do so in anticipation of his promised personal presence to draw near to us. What might it mean to prevail and to live and prevail in the authentic Christian life? Well, let's look at it from verse 5 and following. You got the context above and you got the context below these messages. I'd just like for us to look at verses 5 to 10 briefly. Pick it up at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he, that is God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So we have the Holy Spirit living within us if we belong to the Lord, if we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, if we've been reborn by the spirit of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And the scripture says that the Lord himself is jealous for the spirit that lives within us, that we not grieve it or or not grieve him, I should say, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. And the Scripture says that God is jealous for the Spirit that He places within us. That means we ought not take Him for granted. We ought to live according to God's Word, which is consistent with the way that the Holy Spirit leads us, right? Verse 6. But... And this but is more of an in addition to, as in contrast, but he gives more grace. God gives more grace. Notice it's it's through the spirit, right? Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is no purpose, it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace, or he gives more grace. Therefore it says, the scriptures. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We were looking at this passage when I was in seminary and our our, uh, seminary uh, professor who was also the uh, president of the seminary at the time, Landrum Level was his name, the third. He's since gone on to be with the Lord. He stopped after that scripture and he said, and brothers, if it's God who's opposing you, consider yourselves opposed. And it was just... uh, just, uh, God is opposed to the proud. And how much of our time do we spend in some aspect of pride, walking as a Christian with the Holy Spirit living within us? But the scripture says, He gives more grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is our proper response? Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, ourselves, therefore, to God. That's step number one. If, if you want a, a brief or concise uh, formula for spiritual warfare, this is the most concise that I know of in the Bible, and it's also the most, most clear. Step 1. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Step two, resist the devil. Step three, and he will flee from you. Step four, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The Bible does not say resist the devil and he will flee from you. Did you you notice that? Resist the devil is step two. Step one is submit yourselves to God. We can resist the devil all day in the flesh and we will lose. We will, we will fall. We will be defeated. And we've, if we've lived in the Christian life very long, all of us have tried to do it. The first step is submit ourselves to God. Step number two, resist the devil. While we are submitting ourselves to God, And while we are submitting ourselves to God and resisting the devil, he will then flee from you. So the the situation is this, he's not really fleeing from us, he's fleeing fleeing from the Lord. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Also, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That means do something about your sin. Don't just expect it to be miraculously removed from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Make decisions for God. Make decisions that will lead you to be fully submitted and also will demonstrate that you are submitting yourselves to God and not to any other. Be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you a couple of weeks ago i said whenever we are trying to be somebody or we're trying to be something in the world that's pride we know that's not the lord this is a very similar statement here humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you. So we see that God promises to draw near to any person who draws near to him and to provide whatever we need to live and prevail, yes, even over the devil in the authentic Christian life. Now let's turn back to Jesus's prayer for his disciples or his prayer to his instruction about prayer for his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. And his disciples, we pray, we hope, we believe includes us. As he teaches here, it's right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew's chapters five, six, and seven. And we'll pick it up at verse 11 in just a moment. As you're turning there, let me just say that as I studied and prepared for this morning, it occurred to me how important it is for us to get a daily portion of each of these things listed. We need our daily bread. but we could probably make a pretty good biblical case that we need even more daily mercy. We need grace from God on a daily basis. And, and not only in the theological sense, that once we're saved, we're always saved. Once we're, we're, we're reborn by the Spirit, we are always before, before God as to Christ. But we need to feel it. We need to know it. We need to walk in it. We need to be free from the sin that entangles us, drags us down, exhausts us. So it's important for us to get a daily portion of each of these, our bread, God's mercy, God's grace, and fellowship. Fellowship is in here too, and we'll see that in just a minute. But where would we be without any of these? So as we we look at the disciples' prayer here in just a moment, I want us to think in these terms. Biblical Christian prayer is also, or also includes, acknowledgement of our dependence on God in Christ Jesus for our daily bread. Yes, that's very familiar. But also the daily forgiveness of our sins. Also the daily humility, strength, wisdom, and grace to forgive others. And daily deliverance from evil, from the temptation to it, the perpetrators of it, and the effects from it. Look with me at verses 11 to 13. Jesus continues on in his model prayer here for us, his disciples. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's very interesting and important for us to remember that these folks did not have a superstore down the street or Costco across town. They literally lived day to day. They didn't have loaves of bread that they could freeze. They didn't have a month's worth of food in their home. But they literally depended on the Lord to provide for them on a daily basis. Unless we've been in another country living a much different, in a much different situation, we have no idea what that's like. And yet this prayer is a genuine offering of prayer to God who is our provider. Give us this day our daily bread. We're depending on you, Lord. We'll starve without you. We'll fail if you don't intervene. Would you provide for us yet another day as your disciples? And forgive us our debts. Now I know the daily goes with the bread. You can tell that in the in, in, in the Greek language because daily and, and bread have the same endings, which mean they have the same function in the sentence, which means the one... Uh, modifies the other daily, modifies bread. I, I know that. But it seems to me in the, in the flow of this prayer that we as his disciples, as his disciples then, also required to be daily forgiven of their sins or of our sins and forgive us our debts on a regular basis at least. If we're praying this prayer not by rote, but if we're praying this prayer as a model for how we ought to pray, then this ought to be a daily prayer, seems to me. And it seems that the text is indicating that. So we need to go before the Lord in humility and expectation. Lord, would you forgive me my sins again this day? I need your forgiveness. I need your favor. And Also, could you help me to forgive those who have sinned against me or those who hold debts against me or or who owe me some measure of relational uh, capital, I call it sometimes. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, we'll talk about that in just a minute when we get down to verses 14 and 15 a little bit more. But this more than implies that for us to be forgiven, we also have the responsibility to forgive. It's free in the sense that God has provided all that is necessary for us to be forgiven. But now that we are His, we need to act like Him. And so we forgive as we've been forgiven you see that as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation okay now let's make it let's make a distinction here the bible is crystal clear that god will give us all manner of trials he will he will allow us to enter into all manner of tribulation and the result for us is that Our character is developed. The result for him is that he is glorified through the faithfulness and the faith and the hope of his people. But let's make a distinction between trials and tribulations and temptation. It's temptation that we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we always have a means of escape. Temptation. And that's very consistent with this prayer, is it not? And lead us not into temptation and you think, why would God ever lead us into temptation? Well, I think we have to be careful here. You remember what happened with Jesus after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert? And it says, and the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. I'm not saying he does that for us, I'm saying that here we, we need to pray that we not be led into temptation, okay? And disti- make a distinction between temptation and trial and deliver us or but deliver us from evil or th- there, there is some, some question and indication here that it actually says as the NIV that Shelley read says, but deliver us from the evil one. That's why I said earlier, the perpetrators of evil. So biblical Christian prayer also includes acknowledgement of our dependence on God in Christ Jesus for our daily bread, the daily forgiveness of our sins, the daily humility, strength, wisdom, and grace to forgive others, and daily deliverance from evil, from the temptation to it, the perpetrators of it, and the effects from it. Finally, as in finally for this morning, we come to a reiteration of what we might call principles of fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with other disciples, even a properly ordered relationship with the world because there are no biblical boundaries to forgiveness. And as soon as I say that, I need to also clarify something because this is a question that comes up every now and again. No kidding, it'll, it'll sound strange to, to many of you, I'm sure, but this has come to me several times, including from here at Bethesda, Will God, in the end, forgive the devil? And are we then, if God forgives the devil in the end, are we then responsible to forgive him also? I just said there are no boundaries to forgiveness. Well, we're not called to forgive the devil. We are not to have any fellowship with him, as there is no fellowship with him possible if we have fellowship with God in Christ Jesus. God's holy justice requires the devil be condemned now and damned forever for his rebellion against God and the great havoc he knowingly wreaks on creation right up until this very moment. Now, that might sound a a bit harsh and unloving, and so it is, but do you remember Jesus' prayer on the cross? Father, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was true for them then. It's also often true for us. Sin has its own way of justifying itself, but the devil knows and he has always known precisely what he's doing. According to Jesus' model prayer here in Matthew 6, as well as the rest of the Bible, we are to pray to be delivered from evil and the evil one, not to be in mutual or forgiving fellowship with him. It is impossible. He is only evil all the time, has ever been, will ever be. And if we doubt that, we can check out the book of Revelation chapters 19 to 22. So we're not going to join the Rolling Stones in their statement and song, sympathy for the devil. We have no sympathy for the devil. But I digress, I suppose, but only a bit, only a bit. And deliver us or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we pray. Let's move on to verses 14 and 15 and and think about this together. Biblical Christian prayer must, must also include both regular and unrestrained acknowledgement without hesitation of our own sin And our humble request for its forgiveness, that's that's the first thing, biblical Christian prayer must include both regular and unrestrained acknowledgement of our own sin and our humble request for its forgiveness and the equally regular and unrestrained acknowledgement and humble grant of forgiveness to others for their sins. You see, we forgive as we have been forgiven. That's the mandate. That's the biblical model. So we equally, regularly, and unrestrainedly acknowledge and, hum- and humbly grant forgiveness to others for their sins. Now, at first we might think this principle of fellowship as I'm calling it, forgiving as we've been forgiven, applies only to the forgiveness of others who have sinned against us, if they acknowledge their specific sins and they ask us for forgiveness. And for sure, that would be very good and healthy and helpful, if we were all able to do that freely, without hinder, hindrance, it would make forgiving a whole lot easier if all of us came to each other and asked for forgiveness for those sins that we committed against each other. But confession to us is not required for us to forgive others. I do know that there are preachers and churches that teach that because, well, God requires our confession before he'll forgive us. Therefore, others must confess their sins to us before we forgive others, right? Except that that isn't here in these verses. It's good logic, but, but I don't think you'll find such a requirement anywhere in the Bible. We're simply instructed to forgive as we have been forgiven. And the only way we can do that is if we're led by the Holy Spirit to do so. I don't want to forgive some folks in my flesh. I just don't want to. I hope they get what they deserve. That's not the biblical Christian way. The biblical Christian way is to forgive. And here's why. Confession is not to enable God to forgive us. I hear it taught that way all the time. For some reason, God can't do something because I haven't done something first. For example, he can't forgive me until until I confess to him my sin. But here's the thing, confession is for us. God never ever needs us to do something, anything, before he can act, never. He can do anything he wants, according to his holy character and righteous action, of course, in the very instant that he wills to do it. The whole Bible is clear about that. But the value of our confessing our sins to God and to each other is that it unburdens us. It keeps our relationships good, clean, And pure. It frees us up to walk in humility and the forgiveness of our sins because we know and believe that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Just imagine for a moment if God in Christ Jesus only forgave us the sins we are conscious of and that we acknowledge and that we ask his forgiveness for. Where would we be then? We'd still be lost without hope and without God in the world. That's where we'd be. No, confession is not free. Confession is not to free God up to forgive us. Our confession of our own sin, both to God and to each other, frees us up from the heavy and exhausting burden of sin. And any of us who have been Christian more than a day or two knows the truth of that statement sin is exhausting it's heavy and we can't get rid of it ourselves confession is good confession is healthy confession is helpful we should even confess our sins to one another james 5:16 but we're also to forgive others as we've been forgiven by god in christ jesus colossians 3:13 and not all the confessing in the world will catch, up, catch us up with that, with forgiving others as we have been forgiven in Christ. We can forgive everybody, everything we're conscious of, and we still wouldn't even, wouldn't even scratch the surface of the depth of the forgiveness that God has given to us, each as individuals and us as a people. That's what and that's why it's called grace. Grace. So in Jesus' teaching of his disciples, including us here this morning, what we might call basic principles of disciple prayer, he makes clear that forgiving others as we have been forgiven, to the extent that's even possible, is part of praying truly and freely and effectively and fruitfully and humbly and hopefully and expectantly as his disciples. Let's look one more time at verses 14 and 15. For if you can... Forgive others their trespasses. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He's not talking about salvation here. He's not saying if you haven't been able to forgive your neighbor, your, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your coworker, your teacher, your coach, whoever it is, your neighbor who has hurt you, that that puts your salvation into jeopardy. That's not at all what he's saying here. He's saying that until we forgive, we cannot get out from under the burden, the exhaustion of sin in our lives and the burdens of our hurt. The Holy Spirit has sealed every person who has been bought by the blood of Christ and reborn by the Spirit until the day of redemption. This is not salvation here. This is talking about a relationship with God that is honest, that is real, and that is manifested in our relationships with each other. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither neither will your Father forgive your Trespasses. The biblical, biblical Christian prayer must include both regular and unrestrained acknowledgement of our own sin and our humble request for its forgiveness and the equally regular and unrestrained acknowledgement and humble grant of forgiveness to others for their sins. And finally, finally by, by way of brief reminder, our central truth for this morning's message has been biblical Christian prayer is also not a rote recitation of a script, or even of assorted requests, it is a hopeful and expectant plea for God's love, mercy, and grace through His personal presence, His personal provision, and His personal intervention. Now, some of you were were quite concerned, I think, when I started out saying that reciting the Lord's Prayer by rote in a worship service is not what Jesus had in mind. It's what Many of us had turned it into, but it, that's not what he had in mind. And I can prove it to you this morning. I held off on this because I just wanted to let it kind of... What's the word? What does is, what is sauce do when it's, when it's getting its... It's being... Sauce, what is it? I don't know what it is, but it's what? Simmer. 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 The, the flavor being increased on the stove. Whatever that is, because... I wanted it to sit there for a while, but I want you to listen to me, and then I want you to tell me what's missing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses or our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's missing? For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you, have, if you have a study Bible, you probably have a note here, and you go down in your notes, and it says some manuscripts, that means after the oldest manuscripts they have, Add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, for, forever. Amen." So probably what some, somebody did, probably early, fairly early on after this was written and was, was distributed from Matthew, somebody said, oh, he forgot something. He left something out. And they added that to their version, and that began to get copied. And it made it all the way to the year 2022 here, in our recitation of this prayer, but it's not in the original text. That only goes to show us that Jesus didn't intend, if he intended us to, by rote, recite the Lord's Prayer from start to finish, well, he would have included all of it. But the early church didn't use it that way until sometime later, When the whole thing was put together and somebody said okay now now it's complete and we began to recite it by rote in our churches it's not bad these are great and wonderful words these are mostly Jesus's words even if we add the the little bit at the end but this is a model prayer it is not a prayer for recitation in the church as a religious exercise It's understanding the aspects of our prayers that will be best, most effective. Honoring God, exalting Jesus Christ, and reflecting that we have a relationship with him, not a religion about him. This has been the Disciples' Prayer 3, our daily bread, mercy, and grace, and our biblical Christian answers to our sermon, our serious questions series. I hope you'll be back next week right here and we'll conclude this series. Let's pray together. God our Father, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. And by that, I mean two things. I mean, you have given us your word. And whatever you say, whatever you commit yourself to, whatever you promise, you fulfill. But also, you have given us your word in scripture. And you have also given us your Holy Spirit that allows us to understand to reach into the depths of it. We never get to the, to the bottom, but at least we can reach into the depths of your word and grow and become deeper ourselves, somehow manifesting some measure of the character of Christ in our place and time. And this is our goal. This is our desire, Lord, at Bethesda Church. Help us to know you, the one true and living God, and exalt Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and to do so by your living spirit within us. Help us not to be afraid, not to be anxious, but because of Jesus we are at peace with you. And we are at peace with each other. And we are even at peace with the world, knowing our place in it and knowing that you are going to come, you are on your way to make all things new. Lord, for whomever this message was, I pray that you would move them to hope and to faith. And not to fear anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. Each week, as we've closed our service, I've tried to provide a passage of scripture that highlights the character of Christ, that will be the result if we submit ourselves to God, as was mentioned this morning, and as we allow the Holy Spirit to change us, using God's Word not only to teach us, but to literally change us, our character, who we are, to be more like Him. There's not a better passage for that than uh, than Philippians chapter two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy, Paul writes, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord let that be our prayer, let that be our purpose as we leave this place in Jesus name, amen. See you next week.